Oh God, I just thank you for today, and I thank you uh, that we can come into your house to worship you, to give you praise, and to give you glory, Lord. And today, as I share about uh, uh, the youth group and my time with the youth group, um, I just pray that you would um, give us all a better understanding of the uh, of what youth ministry is really like, why it's important, and why we do what we do, which is ultimately to bring people to a better knowledge of you and to uh, and to bring you glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. So I am one of the leaders in Fusion Youth Group. So my role is to support the youth pastor, uh, to support Joanna in her role as the overseer of the group. Um, so that might be as simple as bringing a couple of games to play on a Wednesday night uh, or leading a small group study when we have those. I ran a book club last summer, and there have been a few times that she's been out of town and I've coordinated uh, the entire um, evening service in her absence. And Fusion is definitely my most active area of uh, ministry involvement. I'm involved in several ministries in the church. Uh, worship team is obviously one of them. Uh, Fusion takes more of my time than any of the others, and it's probably more demanding than the others, uh, but it's also the one where I really feel at home. Uh, youth ministry is a very significant part of whatever calling God has placed on my life. And it was several weeks ago that Pastor Bruce asked me to speak about the challenges of youth ministry, and I thought, oh, that's easy, babies. Um, you know, One little baby shows up, and the next thing you know, the youth pastor's gone, and we've recruited two dozen volunteers to help fill in the gap. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, and I was supposed to bring this message several weeks ago, um, and I thought it was going to be a part of the appeal for people to come on board as support leaders, um, especially to help cover that time that Joanna is away on maternity leave. But my speaking date kept getting pushed back, and I started to think if we keep delaying this, Amari's going to be in the youth group before I get a chance to speak. <laughs> and uh, I worked it out. Uh, when she's old enough to come to Fusion, I will be 45 years old. <laughs> and I intend to be doing this when I'm 45. Uh, I was talking to one of the youth leaders at uh, Shiloh in Halifax when we took uh, the kids to one of their services back in April, and I hate to say it, I can't think of the guy's name. I see him every time we go to Rock Church. He's probably in his early to mid-50s, and you know what he told me? Never stop. Do this as long as you can, and I plan to. I... Um, I want to do this as long as I'm able, um, because fusion was a really critical component of my spiritual and personal growth as a teenager. I had great youth pastors and great leaders who encouraged me, spoke into my life, and now I want to carry on that legacy and pass on what I learned and received uh, to the next generation of students. Um, and, you know, it's funny, as enthusiastic as I am about youth ministry, it wasn't always that way. Um, when I was a younger teenager in junior high, I was very resistant to going to youth group. I was shy. Um, a lot of the kids were older than me. The music was loud, and I didn't like that, how that changed. <laughs> and I, I had no interest in going, and I didn't. And uh, I remember one time they brought in this guest worship band from, I don't know who they were or where they were from. I was at home, and I wasn't planning on going that night. And Tim, who was the youth pastor at the time, he called me up when he noticed I wasn't there. Um, called me at home right before things started, and he said, Graham, it's Tim. How fast can you get here? <laughs> and I told him I wasn't going tonight. And he said, no, we have a problem. The piano player just broke his arm. We need someone to play the piano. How fast can you get here? 
<laughs> now, at that point, I'd only been playing the piano for a couple years. It was way beyond my skills. Um, so I just told him, I, I can't do that. And he doesn't miss a beat. He says, no, it's okay. They have sheet music for you. How fast can you get here? <laughs> and I still refused him. Uh, nice try. But, and it's the weirdest thing. I don't remember what finally changed my mind. I don't remember why I decided to start going. I don't remember my first um, youth service. I Thinking back, it must have been in grade 10, because I remember them having cake for me on my 16th birthday. But once I got into it, I was hooked. Um, it ended up being a really important and really special part of my high school experience. Um, the friends I made, the places we went, the things we did together as a group, and the lessons and the values that I picked up as a result of going through it. And ever since then, so grade 10 or so, I've stayed connected with that group. I was away in university for five years, but uh, I stayed in contact with this church and was involved with the youth as much as was possible. Um, and then in early 2009, just as I was wrapping up university, uh, Daryl, our previous youth pastor, um, approached me about becoming a leader. So we met for lunch one afternoon, and he told me what would be expected of me and what I could expect um, as a leader. And he said it wouldn't always be easy. He said there would be challenges and that I would unclog a lot of toilets. <laughs> and he was right. There have been challenges, and I have unclogged a lot of toilets. <laughs> um, and I'm going to get to the challenges shortly, but it wouldn't be right if I didn't say something about what a great youth group we have, and I want to give honor where it's due. Uh, we have an incredible youth pastor, um, the third pastor who has nurtured this ministry in this church for decades, um, and I've had the privilege of studying or leading under all of them. So Tim McDonald, of course, Daryl Akins, and now Joanna. And Fusion would be nothing without the kids. Um, and we have an amazing bunch of kids. Um, they're fun to be around. They're talented. They're willing to step up to the plate or step out of their comfort zone. And I'm really happy to be a part of what God is doing in their lives through this ministry. Um, they're good to take on responsibility. If we're having supper on a Wednesday night, they're downstairs early chopping vegetables. Sometimes it's as simple as reading the weekly announcements, and for some of them, that's a big step. It takes courage to get up in front of a group of your friends and your peers and say anything. Um, every week, we have someone prepare a short talk about the importance of tithing or giving an offering, and they're really good at it. Uh, you already heard one from Makara this morning. Um, and we're going to get more of them to start sharing those same messages on Sunday mornings. Uh, some of these kids really understand the principles of giving and generosity. And this is an important part of what we do. We want to give them opportunities to grow. We want to help them develop skills like public speaking, but we also want to let them take some ownership of that group, take a, an active part in that ministry, and give them a more active role in, in what it is that we're doing every week. And I think that impressed me the most uh, this year was half a dozen kids who took Joanna's challenge to prepare a short message about courage. It was the theme of our March break camp. It's been our theme for a lot of 2018, and they did a really great job. It was awesome to see them prepare these messages and uh, deliver them to their friends and peers. And I know it encouraged them, and it certainly encouraged me. And I don't think he's here today, but uh, Patrick is the one in particular that really, really blew me away. He was the first one to go, and he told me before he went up he wasn't confident. So I talked to him beforehand. I prayed with him, and I assured him that he'd do fine, and I thought he would do fine. Um, uh, but he was absolutely exceptional. Like I said, I was blown away. He didn't sound like someone that was nervous talking to a crowd. He was confident. He was articulate. Um, he was very open and honest about what he was sharing. 
And I usually take notes on my phone anytime somebody is speaking. And that night I took over 500 words of notes as he was talking. Um, he has a gift, and as far as I can tell, he'll fit in right here just fine someday. And of course, this is a good time to point out Ina, so everybody can look at her for a minute. Um, <laughs> she's often on the worship team on Wednesdays, but yes, it's her first time leading on a Sunday morning, and um, to lead with her was a real honor and a privilege, and she did absolutely amazing. She really did. So you can clap for her. <laughs> Okay, so let's let's talk about the challenges, and I think the place to start is just by taking a look at who today's teenagers actually are. The, the kids we have in the youth group today are um, from the generation that's usually referred to as Generation Z, and there's no well-defined cutoff for where any generation starts and ends, but most researchers will uh, classify them as anyone born between about 1999 and 2015. So today they're between the ages of 3 and 19. So that perfectly encompasses our youth group age. The oldest ones have just graduated from high school or have started college. Um, and this is the generation that came after the millennials, which is people roughly born between the early 80s and the year 2000. So that makes me one of the oldest of the millennial generation. And I want to look at some of the defining characteristics of this generation. And a lot of the stats and information I'll be referencing come from a study that was done a couple years ago by the Barna Research Group. And one part of that study was a survey of over 300 youth pastors. And they were asked, what are the most defining factors of today's youth? And there's a whole lot of them, but I'm going to focus in on four big ones. So any guesses what the number one answer was? The number one thing that defines today's teenagers? I heard it, yeah. It's actually, it's this, these things right here. Um, it's their, it's their use of technology. It was the top two answers over half of youth pastors saying that the way technology and social media have changed the way they think and changed the way they interact with others. Um, some people will actually call this generation um, iGen. So just think iPhone, iPad, iGeneration. My generation grew up with the internet, but these guys don't know life without it. And uh, most of them probably don't remember the first time they ever used the internet. Previous generations would hang out in public places like a basketball court, but today socializing is done in online games, chat rooms, and apps. Uh, they're the largest consumers of social media, and I'm not going to make this a talk about the social media, um, but this is a real dominant and influential force in their lives, not only because of how prevalent it is, uh, but because of the content that's available. 31% of teens spend four to eight hours a day looking at a screen, and another 26% spend eight or more hours a day on a screen. So what that means is for a lot of teens, in the average 24-hour day, they spend more time looking at a screen than they do sleeping. And again, without dwelling on this, there's evidence that this is having a negative effect on their health, uh, especially with regard to their mental health. And we do see the rates of self-harm and suicide among young people increasing. And technology's ability to distract is a challenge. If you've owned a smartphone for any length of time, you know how, um, how needy they can be. Something on it is always demanding your attention. And youth leaders are no different than teachers or other educators. We find ourselves fighting against that distraction. Uh, Joanna actually likes to show a picture that was taken at the Super Bowl earlier this year. Uh, Justin Timberlake is walking through the crowd singing during the halftime show, and some kid missed him right as he walked by because he was looking at his phone 
instead of looking at the celebrity who was standing right beside him. Um, so at the game, you miss Justin Timberlake, but in church, you miss God. And they changed the way we process information. We're becoming very accustomed to having the answer to any question just a Google search away. But satisfying answers to difficult questions and a really deep understanding of difficult concepts aren't found by scrolling and skimming. They're found by digging and searching. We want quick answers, but we need to learn how to find um, uh, the real satisfying and lasting answers. And despite being so connected, many teens also have a very deep sense of isolation. Every event and every gathering is extensively documented and shared, and someone who couldn't go or wasn't invited can see everything that's happening and is very, very aware of what they're missing out on. And I'm not making light of this when I say this, but virtually all of them and many of us have experienced the discomfort of being unfriended by someone on social media. And that's because we find our meaning in our digital and virtual connections. Our meaning is ultimately found in God. And finally, technology can leave teens feeling a lot of pressure to perfect an image that they then put on display for others. And teens have always felt that way, to act a certain way when they were in school. But it used to stop at the end of the day. And they can go home and they can just be themselves. But now the need to create that image and act and behave in a certain way follows them everywhere. Um, even, even at home, um, there's always a constant need to appear happy, to appear successful, and maintain that image that generates them likes. For many of them, they say appearing happy is more important than actually being happy. And that can leave them feeling inauthentic. And it's very easy to look at all these other people with their own perfectly manicured online profiles. And clearly they have it all together. And they compare to their own life with hurts and disappointments and failures. And it leads them to feel very empty and very inadequate. So what we have is a generation that feels like they're always being watched and scrutinized and compared. But they don't feel like they're actually known. I'll come back to that point a little bit later on. Uh, the second is their, their sense of identity. Um, they have a very different idea of what defines me. What is it that makes me, me? Every other generation says that family is central to their identity, who their family is, their family background, their upbringing. And this is the very first generation that puts other things before family in their sense of who they actually are. Older generations all prioritize marriage and family. Today's teens prioritize success and achievement. They're very much goal-oriented. Two-thirds of them say by the age of 30, they want to finish an education, start a career, and be financially independent. And just over one-third, they say they want to enjoy life before having adult responsibilities. And that's what I want to. Um, <laughs> only 20% say marriage and 12% say having children are priorities for them. And gender and sexual orientation are also important to identity for about a third of teens. And that's true regardless of of their orientation or how they identify. One third of them say that that, whatever it looks like, is very important to who I am. And the majority of them believe it's okay for a person to be born one gender and feel like another. And that tension for people who struggle with gender identity is the feeling that their gender is important to who they are, but their body can't properly convey that aspect of their identity. So our, our challenge 
is to help them understand that their identity is not found in what they do or how they feel, but their identity is ultimately who they are in Christ. The third one is moral relativism. And I've, I've talked about this uh, some time ago, but it's a very common idea in society today, and it's very prevalent among teenagers. It's the idea that we decide what's true for ourselves. What's true for you might not be true for me. One in four teams uh, believe right and wrong change over time based on what's happening in the world or based on how society feels about a given issue. And a big part of how teens view truth is the acceptability of what they believe. They measure their beliefs against how someone will react when they find out what those beliefs are. Um, we see trigger warnings are becoming more common. If something might offend, people want to know up front. Uh, we see videos with a warning that the viewer might find what you're about to see distressing. Or college courses now come with warnings that uncomfortable subjects are going to be discussed. Or if books with upsetting themes are a part of the uh, curriculum. We live in a society where we're afraid to offend somebody. And one third of teens equate the truth of their beliefs with how appealing or unappealing they are to somebody else. So what that boils down to is if your beliefs offend somebody, or if your beliefs hurt their feelings, your beliefs are probably wrong. Um, and they're very hesitant to make a, a definite statement. A very simple question like, who was Jesus, can leave students feeling uncertain of how to answer. They don't want to answer definitively because the answer could cause offense to somebody. And I saw this play out in real life a few months ago. I was talking to one guy after the youth service, and uh, he was struggling because he wanted to start a conversation with a friend about Jesus. But he felt he couldn't because he said he didn't want to start an argument. And I asked him, well, why would that turn into an argument? And he said if he claimed to believe in Jesus, he would be implying, or he might have to come right out and say that he thought what his friend believed was wrong. And he thought his friend would be offended by that. And the best I could offer him was how Paul preached to the people of Athens in Acts 17, where he found an altar for an unknown God. So Paul didn't go in and dispute with them and claim that they worshipped false gods. He just introduced them to the one that he worshipped, and one that they knew of but didn't know anything about. And I don't know when, what he ended up doing with that information or that conversation. Uh, I have no idea if he ever talked to his friend. But now I realize that his friend's belief called his own beliefs into question. Um, he felt if what I believe causes his offense, maybe what I believe isn't true. And in his view, a religious system that makes room for both of their gods or both of their systems was just much more comfortable for everybody. And the last thing that I'll just point on as far as things that define this generation is their, uh, is their views on religion. Um, they're growing up in what's being called the post-Christian era. So everything, church attendance, belief in God, prayer, Bible reading, they've all been declining. They've been declining for decades. That's really nothing new. And in the population as a whole, there's just a trend away from religion. Fewer people claim to be affiliated with any church. Fewer would be classified as born again or evangelical. And those trends are seen among youth as well. But there's one statistic where they are outpacing the general population. And that's the number claiming to be atheists. And it's interesting, many teens are unwilling to commit to an absolute belief when it comes to morality, but more than ever are willing to claim an absolute belief when it comes to their belief in God. 
there are twice as many teenagers who are atheists than there are in the general population. They're outpacing them two to one. Um, but there is an upside to these, all these statistics about religious views, and that is when one of these kids ends up in a church or a youth ministry setting, they're often a fresh slate. There's no past hurt or frustration with the church that needs to be dealt with or undone before the discipleship can begin. So there can be a positive slant on that as well. So just to recap, um, there's so many more things that define that generation, things that we see in, in young people today, but I'll just leave it at those four. Their technology makes them simultaneously more connected, but also more isolated. They're always seen, but they're not known. Uh, they need to learn where their identity really comes from, and it's not found in their, in their achievements or in what they do or their hobbies or how they feel, but it comes from who they are in God. And in a world where truth is flexible and the church is no longer seen as a cultural authority, um, they need to learn to trust the Bible and trust in its absolute truths and get to, to the point where they can believe in absolute truth. So in that same survey of youth pastors that I mentioned earlier, they were asked, what are the biggest struggles in your ministry? And there were a lot of them. And when I looked at the most common answers, there were some trends that a lot of pastors seemed to identify. And the number one answer on that survey surpassed number two by over 20%. It was a really big one. And that is parents not prioritizing their teens' spiritual growth. And another 21% of pastors said they struggle uh, with parents not being aligned with the beliefs that they're trying to teach. So it's very clear that the biggest struggle for a lot of youth pastors is actually one that takes place in the home. Uh, when you're talking, or if I can just talk to Christian parents, just let me ask, is there an effort at home through the week to make spiritual disciplines um, a priority? Are they a daily or are they a regular uh, part of family life? And for many of the kids that come here on Wednesday, um, they might be the only Christian or they might be the only person who attends church in their home. So for them, when they go home, there is probably no push at all from their parents to pray or to have family devotions. And for most of them, for the next week, they're left on their own to motivate themselves and to hold themselves accountable. And for a good number of them, with no push or encouragement coming from home, they, may, they might not have any exposure at all to the Bible until their next visit to the youth group, whenever that might be. Uh, the third thing on the list was undoing what the world teaches. Um, so just remember the stats from earlier. Average teenager gets four hours or more a day of screen time. They spend 30 hours at school every week, and we get them for less than 10 hours a month. They have way, way more exposure to friends and family than, uh, um, than they do to us. Those friends and family who may not be believers, they get way more exposure to ideas that just float around school, float around on social media, and just way more exposure to worldly influences in general than they do to anything in the church. And then to compound that problem, Pastors and youth leaders are not considered as influential as friends and family. So not only is our time with them less, but the influence that we do have during that time, as short as it is, um, is also less as we're trying to counter the things that the world is teaching and try to get our own values in there. And number four on the list was a, is a tricky one, and that's trying to balance the needs of unchurched teens with growing those who do have faith. And this is something that we're um, 
kind of experimenting within our own youth group right now. We've got a really big group of kids that comes out every week, and they're all very, very different people. We've got everybody ranging from about 12 to 19 years old. They're coming from different cultures, different nationalities, and we have people at all stages of Christianity and spiritual maturity. We have kids who have never been to church before or who only come occasionally. We have some that are just starting out on that faith journey, and we have some who have been Christians for years, um, and we have some that are really, really spiritually mature despite their young age. How do you teach a group that diverse? Um, Traditionally, we keep the entire group together for one big teaching session. Um, but we ask ourselves, is that the best learning environment? How do you bring a lesson or a message that caters to the needs of someone who's relatively new in the faith and is still trying to learn the basics, but also helps to grow a kid who wants to go deeper in their faith? So sometimes we'll break off into three or four smaller groups for discussion. And this fall, we've been breaking into two groups, the ones that are older and the ones that are younger than 15. And the idea behind that was to make it easier to challenge the older ones without overwhelming the younger ones. But is that the best way to split up the group? I don't know what the right answer is, and I don't know if there is a right answer. I was thinking, how do you teach math? Uh, it used to be that this is what you learn in grade 9, and this is what you learn in grade 10, and, and so on. Uh, but now we know that you can't teach it based on age or grade. You have to teach it based on skill and your knowledge of other concepts. So in math, if you don't understand this and this, you will never understand this. And in the same way, we have 13 and 14-year-olds that are more spiritually mature than some of the high schoolers. We have teenagers who are more spiritually mature than some of the adults. And that just all depends on when they started on that faith journey and how that journey is actually progressing. Um, some experts say you want to spend at least some of the time splitting up the boys and the girls. Uh, because teenage boys in particular, they want, to be, they want to be real. But teenage boys also want to show off. And they can't do both at the same time. <laughs> and they have a much easier time opening up and being real and honest in a setting where it's just other guys. So ultimately, the challenge for us is trying to structure the meeting and bring material that offers something to everyone. Pastors really struggle to go deep into many topics that really matter just because some of their students aren't prepared for that level of learning. And they're kind of held back from that because they have to focus on the basics. Um, and I just want to end by talking very briefly about my own struggles. Uh, you know, what are the things that I, myself, as a youth leader, you know, in my almost 10 years of doing this, what are the things that I struggle with? Uh, First is I have a very limited amount of time with a very large and very growing group. I keep coming back to kids want to be known, and I want to get to know them. But on Wednesdays, I go right from work to the church, and I might be there less than half an hour before things get underway. Um, so it's hard to have a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with the kids. Even learning and remembering all of their names can be a challenge. And the second thing is the, is the responsibility. And I uh, just want to go back to the Awakening Conference that we went to in Rhode Island in 2015. Um, and let me just throw this out there uh, to everyone who helped with that trip. Thank you. Um, I still have all of my notes from that. 
and I've, I still refer back to them from time to time. It was a really, uh, really encouraging and really building experience. So thank you to everybody, you know, who saw that vision and made it possible for the group to go to that because I know I was blessed by it and I know that the three van loads of kids that went down there were definitely blessed by that. So thank you for your just anytime there's something going on that you would support um, any trip or conference like that. It is well worth anything that you put into that to help make those possible. But I was looking at one of some of my notes from one, uh, one of the workshops I went to and the speaker said this, the attack of the enemy against this generation is not something I will let go quietly into the night. He was speaking to the leaders when he said this, you will be speaking into my kids. I want the mic in good hands. Teaching your kids is a responsibility that I take very, very seriously. And when I'm teaching, whether I'm doing a short offering talk or I'm leading a small group discussion or I'm doing a full sermon, um, I put a lot of time and effort into make sure that I get it right. Um, it's a lot of extra time. It's a lot of extra work, but I refuse to take a shortcut on that. I always want to bring my best because I recognize just how big my responsibility is, how big my responsibility is uh, to you as a parent and to your kid. And I don't take speaking into your kid's life lightly. And being real is a struggle um, because the fact is pretty much all of us make an effort to look um, like we have it all together. The person sitting next to you probably thinks that you have it all together. Um, and I'm not joking when I say this, it's very easy for kids to look at their leaders. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he knows. Um, kids can look at their leaders and think we're perfect. Um, they can see us and they think they will never measure up. Um, they will never get it right. And it takes a lot of guts to open up and be real with them, to let them know that we struggle with things too. We, uh, we went to high school just like they did, we face the same temptations they do. We've messed up just like they have. And I told you earlier about the kids that got up here and shared messages that they wrote about having courage. It's a lot easier for them to get up and share about their own experiences and their own struggles when their leaders are willing to do the same thing. And I and several of the other leaders, we did exactly that. Um, it's not easy, but sharing those life experiences lets them know that they aren't alone. Uh, that other people have the same struggles that they do. And it's that openness, as hard as it is, because we, we just want to look perfect, um, but that openness helps them to overcome those temptations. And it really opens up the door uh, to finding freedom from the things that are keeping them, keeping them bound. And the last thing that I will mention, a real struggle for me, is that some of these kids are hurting. Whether it's stuff at school or there's stuff going on at home, there is brokenness in their lives. And I always try to be a listening ear I've prayed with a lot of kids, and seeing the hurt that someone is carrying can be very hard to bear. And I just want to wrap this up by saying that I truly believe that youth ministry is important. And I want to acknowledge um, everyone who works with any age group, whether that's from nursery to nursing home, every single age group needs to be ministered to and needs to be reached with the gospel. And we need people active in every single one of those ministries. But what makes teens unique is that they are in their formative years where they're very much becoming the people that they will one day be. And there's just one statistic that I want to share with you. Um, I brought just one slide, so just bear with me while I put this up here. Oh, not that. 
these are very, um, these statistics are kind of discouraging. 70% um, of high school students who enter college as professing Christians will leave with little to no faith. And the tendency is not to come back after graduation. 80%, so that's an additional 10% um, uh, will be disengaged from their faith by the time they're 29. So disengaged just means faith no longer plays a central or meaningful part in their lives. So the average Christian teenager, um, at least from the ones who are going off to college, has a one in five chance of making it to age 30 and keeping their faith. And I'm one of the ones in that 20% minority who got through college and made it to age 30 with intact and active faith. Um, so, so how did I... <laughs> And my question is, the question I have here is, how did I do it? But maybe the real question is, how did that happen? Um, certainly, I had my role to play. I made my faith my own. I continued to pursue God throughout university, and I always made him a priority. That was on me. But I can also look at what was modeled for me at home growing up, regular church attendance, giving. And I thought, you know, even listening to Christian radio on a Sunday morning before church, those were all things that I learned as a young person and continued on in university. And, and I had Fusion Youth. It was a place where I could go where the teaching was excellent, where my faith was reinforced, where I made healthy Christian friendships. And I had wonderful pastors and wonderful leaders who really helped me and encouraged me. And I carried that on as well. Week one in university, I found a young adult group to get involved in and plugged in. And you get those same things, those friendships, those people that will go through university and go through life uh, with you and, and keep you strong. In, in an environment that really is a battlefield for young Christians. Um, and there's, a, there's one leader in particular who was a real mentor to me, and that was Peter Hill. A lot of you would know who that is. Uh, he was one of our worship leaders, and he was encouraging me to start playing the piano with the fusion band. He took a very personal interest in my growth, and he met with me regularly, both to build up my musical skills and to teach me important principles about worship. And I got to a point where he felt that I was ready to start, and I was, uh, but I was absolutely gripped by fear. So every Tuesday I was ready to go, but when Wednesday afternoon rolled around, I wouldn't show up. And the next thing would roll, or next week would roll around, and it was the same thing. Yeah, I'm coming this week. And I'd bail out again when the time came. And it had to be frustrating for him. He was putting in a lot of time to get me ready for this, and now it was time to put it into action, and all I was doing was freezing up. And I think the normal response for somebody in his situation would just be to give up or find somebody else to work on, um, but he didn't. He talked to me one night after the youth service, and he asked me what was going on, and I told him that I really wanted to. I wanted to you know, play with the band, but I was just too scared. Um, and what he told me was that Fear comes from the devil. And his exact words were, the devil sucks. <laughs> and sometimes it's the simplest lessons that teach us the most. Um, he saw potential in me, and he wasn't about to let me give up. So the next Wednesday, nope, still, still can't do it. Um, I was a very tough case. <laughs> 
but the good news is that I didn't need very much longer. I finally broke through that insecurity. And I just wonder if he hadn't held in there and encouraged me, I might not be on the worship team today. Um, so I'm almost finished. Maybe the band wants to come back. I know if you and the singers want to come back up there. So that sort of thing that he really poured into my life is the legacy that I want to continue. I want to pass on what I received from those who came before me to the ones who are coming after me. And for me, that means leading in the capacity that I do um, and leading uh, in the level of time commitment that I do. And hopefully I can stick with it for many more years to come. And I just want to say uh, to those leaders who show up every single week, um, Brenda, Mitchell, you guys know who you are. Um, just let me say thank you for your dedication to this ministry and to the over two dozen of you who answered the call and uh, agreed to come on as support leaders, whatever your level of commitment is, um, whatever it is you're able to offer, whether that's coming every other week, once a month, or just when we need you, thank you so much for your willingness to serve. And for everyone else, um, maybe you don't... Uh, Maybe the youth ministry isn't, isn't your thing or it's not a ministry you're going to sort of be, act, sort of be actively involved in, uh, but I would still challenge you, look for opportunities to speak into a young person's life. Um, any act of kindness, no matter how small or a simple word of encouragement, really, really can make a big difference in their lives.